And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com. <laughs> Smooth, sophisticated, always comfortable. You know, we leave you with a couple of weeks off and you come in with this stuff now. Yeah, yeah, that's called Smooth. brain damage and it's uh, symptoms. Yeah. Smooth, sophisticated, <laughs> and what? Yeah. The okay. Lighten Up Lounge, where we do the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Standard of the broadcast industry, which was formerly a Scully tape deck. <laughs> remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I even remember, remember that. Look around the studio. Yeah, You'll see you a go. couple. Go to any radio station. There's going to be a satellite uplink or a yes, rack of tape machines. You have a wall and sack in your house. Uh, as a matter of fact, a wall and sack 500. There you go. Yeah, from AV class. Remember that? Yeah. Boy, they I had a WebCore Royal Light 2. <laughs> I remember the ads they used to have in the trade magazines for Scully tape decks. And it showed a guy that looked like it could be Matt or you or I hold a coffee cup, a three days worth of growth of beard on his face and said, you want this? Yeah, I remember <laughs> this. How do you win? And it showed a picture of the tape deck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tape deck doesn't spill coffee on your expensive vertical <laughs> faders. Yeah. I remember the day I found the second track. You did? Yeah. yeah. It was by like 12. Well, we're on the fast track to true crime uncensored right now. Finally. I mean, legendary Burl Bear, that's Howard Lapita, manager of the star and manager of every diamond thief and burglar in this world and the worlds beyond. Burl I, I Bear. Will, I, Burl I, Bear, the man who won't die. Yes. <laughs> I'm Mr. Invincible. Mr. And Invincible. Mr. Invincible. Well, good. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. Captain Sparkle Fingers. I've I've missed you live on the show. You yeah, you missed yeah. me. Yeah. So did the, so did our fans. I hope so. Uh, now uh, Susan who has a very soft voice. She's on the phone. Susan. Yes. What happened to your eyes? Pardon me. The eyes. The eyes in Feinstein. <laughs> My grandfather Morris had them taken out. Ah, sounded too Jewish. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Uh, I had a cousin years ago that when they came over during the second wave of immigrants, uh, the last name is Bearer or Barrer. They called themselves Bearski because I thought it made them sound like royalty. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it didn't work. <laughs> did you have an operation on your chopped liver while you were gone? Is yeah, it? I certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Brent's makes their chopped liver with beef. Did you know that? And by the way, the best chopped liver. The best chopped liver. In town. In town. Not in the, uh, in the world, but in town. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been here, uh, Susan? To Los Angeles? Yeah. Yeah, I was there once. I went on a, a business trip when I was uh, working at a German publishing company uh, for a photographer named Bruce Weber. He was releasing a book, so I got the privilege of taking a, a trip oh. to L.A. for the first time, and uh, it was really interesting. Yeah, they don't have a Carnegie Deli here. Of course, that again, no. New York doesn't have a Carnegie Deli anymore either, I don't think. Well, they do. Yeah. It, it's, it's, see, you came to the Deli Police. They don't have a Carnegie Deli anywhere now. They have one in New York, Yeah, but it is not an open delicatessen. What they do have is a, a kitchen, a big-time working kitchen, and they do uh, send out and take out. Really? Yep. Because when we were there, there was a line of people waiting to get in before they closed it. Yeah. And then they... Well, they haven't closed it. I, I, I know the folks. They're good people. They made an awful lot of money. Strictly cash. And then off we go. 
Here we go. Yep. Okay, now that we got all that important stuff worked out. Well, corned beef sandwich is <laughs> corned beef sandwich far is more important than you'd, Burrow. <laughs> well, that. when I was in L.A., it seemed like everybody was ordering, ordering egg white omelets, so I don't really know that Carnegie yeah. Deli would survive. No, well. Yeah, that's, that's Los Angeles for you. Howard was going to open a deli here in Los Angeles perfectly suited for the clientele called Trafe. <laughs> people, only a few people get that. Only a few people get that? Yeah, Trafe. Trafe, yeah. That yeah, means course. it's not kosher. Right. Right. We'd so there's Susan or to give up on us already. I know we'd kill in Beverly Hills. No, nope, I'm, I'm here. You're still Happy there. to be here. Okay. Uh, your book is creepy. <laughs> well, I mean, welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome to the show. Your book's creepy. It's scary. I mean, I, I watch Catfish, you know, <laughs> on TV, yeah. and I had a stalker once, but it, mine was like, play Misty for me, you know. Uh, if, if I can't have you, no one can. <laughs> Yeah, my book is creepy. I think it's uh, one of the creepiest books around. Uh, for those uh, in our studio audience and those playing Monopoly at home, uh, it's your story. I mean, you wrote this book because it, it didn't happen to anybody else. It happened to you. Uh, tell us your experience. I mean, what, you seem like a nice, normal, semi-rational human being. <laughs> well, I thought so. Well, Until why I you? The Hall of why you? Why me? I think I've always attracted uh, strange people. I don't know why. I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, well, Howard's but, here. That's partial proof. Perhaps it's the plastic nose and glasses. That <laughs> could be but it. But you know, in New York, in a certain time, and those of us of a certain age, it, it seemed like everybody was a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, especially in Williamsburg in the 1980s, there was a lot of artists moving in, yeah. sort of intrepid types. Uh, but it did attract a very eclectic, if not small, group of people at the outset. And uh, that's where this book takes place. Well, what was the first, I mean, at what point in your life, uh, in your use of the Internet, etc., did you find yourself going down a rabbit hole of semi-insanity orchestrated by someone else? Well, it all started out innocently enough. I was just, uh, it was the early days of the Internet, the early 2000s. And I had always been curious about my father's side of the family, the, the Fenstons, uh, previously the, the Feinsteins. Um, so I t took a look at genealogy.com, and there was, it was like those old message board kind of Internet uh, websites with just threads, very clunky, very early and primitive, uh, no bells, whistles, or animation or anything. And there was every page, there was a, everybody's name had a page, and it was like a, a message exchange. Mm -hmm. So I posted a, a question about, since there were no Fenstons really, because it's kind of a made-up name, I went to the Feinstein page and posted a question if anybody knew Morris Feinstein, who grew up in New York City around the turn of the century, and if anybody knew anything. Of course, there were a lot of messages from a lot of Feinsteins, but I really I, wasn't expecting to really hear from anyone. I just I, thought, I'm not going to oh, say there's, a shortage, there's no shortage and of Morris Feinsteins. within a very short period of time, about five days, I got a message back from someone who said that she just stumbled across my message. She just happened to be looking at the Feinstein page, and she saw my uh, my question about Morris Feinstein, and she said that she almost fell over in her chair because it, it, it seemed like we might have had the same grandfather, which was certainly plausible because my grandfather Morris had two marriages, 
And he has and a bicycle. What? And a bicycle. He probably did. Yeah. That's what I always heard. Your grandfather had a bicycle. That's why there's all these people <laughs> who look look like members of the family. So are you, are you done now, bro? Yeah, I'm done now. And uh, I have a, a small family. I don't have a lot of family members. I had a lot of family members pass away tragically. So I guess maybe I was just looking for some information, but maybe on a deeper level I was kind of hoping to plug in some empty pieces mm-hmm. in my life. Real, real, really. real, real quick, if I can just stop you for a second. That's how it is. Yeah. Be- because you said tragically in in such a fashion like either we're supposed to know about it or it's something that you want us to know about well it's it's it has a lot to do with it um i think it it gets into the my vulnerabilities and and how i was really uh drawn into something very strange my i only have one sister and she committed suicide in 1987 mm. and it was the most traumatic devastating experience of my life so she died, and my father died in 2001. His brother died not long after my sister died. My grandparents died. I really, it, it, within a space of about six months, I lost half of my family. Whoa. So it was, it was tough. And I, you know, I'm, I carry it with me. I understand it. I deal with it. I've dealt with it. Certainly, I've gotten a lot better at dealing with it. You know, we all have our tragedies, but this, this is my story, and... When I saw this woman's answer to my query, I thought, wow, this opens up some interesting doors. Maybe I can learn something about my family, those Feinsteins. So take us down the path. Well, we started exchanging email and uh, pictures. <clears throat> she, I sent her some pictures. Uh, very, I have just very few old pictures. I sent her a few. She sent me uh, a photo of her family. Uh, looked like a... A uh, very traditional portrait, uh, very uh, upper middle class, button-down tweed jacket, long skirts, couple of women, their children. There's something very formal, and and uh, I thought, okay, these are these people. And she told me a little bit about her, and she had a brother and a sister. Uh, Leonard Knackman was her brother, and Sharon uh, was her sister, Sharon Barnes. And we just gradually started getting acquainted. What do you, you know, writing? Now, I've got to ask you here, in real life, was that true or was she making that up? Well, I can't give away the baby in the bathwater. Um, really has a lot to do with how the book turns out in the end. I, of course, went into it fully believing everything. It was just too real. It was too real. Well, you see, it's one thing, the thing I find most fascinating about your story. A lot of people have been duped on the Internet with, you know, catfish and one thing and another. But the elaborate nature of the gaslighting and deception given to you as, shall we say, victim, (laughs) unless you don't like to be called victim, uh, but you certainly weren't the perpetrator, is above and beyond anything I've ever seen before. I mean, yes. it's like you got a team of screenwriters working on on this one. A team of very good screenwriters and editors and novelists and uh, playwrights. Uh, it, it was really opera. It was operatic, the darkest opera, and it was deep and detailed. And everybody was a fully fleshed out person. 
they had their own writing styles, they had their own personalities, and I, at a certain point, I could not figure out who was the craziest one among them. And early on in uh, Karen's description of her brother and sister, a, a real sort of dynamic started to emerge about the three of them, gradually, of course. Yeah. And I'm no, st I mean, I have a little bit, you know, my family's a little bit unusual. My, my sister killed herself. My father was a very reclusive, uh, hard-to-know kind of person, an artist who really kept to himself. So the fact that there were unusual, unusual personalities in the family didn't really turn me off so much. But then it, it just got darker and, and darker. Well, um, as you say, it gets darker and darker. What was it doing to you? What was going on? What's the end game here? What, what, whoever these people are who are working so laboriously and creatively to totally screw with your head and your life. Well, of course, I was, I was completely hooked and, and drawn in. Uh, Karen seemed very normal. She lived in Massachusetts. She had two children and a husband and very conventional suburban family. Her brother, Leonard, she described as a little mysterious. And he was a math wizard, uh, Wall Street entrepreneur, uh, who lived in New Jersey. And oh, when she talked about him being mysterious, kind of clear that up for us. That she didn't say anything right away. She just said he was a little mysterious and he's a little, he might get a little emotional. And she took her time telling them about me. I got the feeling that, you know, there was some, uh, she was kind of walking on uh, eggshells with her family. Like I was kind of like her fun little secret. She'd met a friend on the internet and this was something that she was really enjoying, but she was reluctant about telling her brother and sister about it, which she eventually did. And Leonard, I thought, who lived nearby, would probably be the easiest one to kind of get to know should things progress. Um, and he worked in Manhattan, and I thought, well, you know, if, if he wanted to, maybe we could meet in a public place somewhere, have coffee, talk, and maybe there might be some kind of a connection. You know, I'm thinking all this. Mm -hmm. You know, because I was quite thrilled thinking there were Feinsteins out there that might be related to me. Um, so she gave my email address to Leonard. He sent me an email saying, welcome to the family. And then he sort of dropped off, and I hadn't heard from him. Uh, so I thought, all right, well, maybe he really doesn't want to meet. Karen said she was certain that he and I would be the best of friends already, but if I hadn't heard from him, that maybe her sister Sharon had already gotten to him. Uh-oh, intrigue. Yeah. Well, and I so thought, oh, Tell us about that. Well, what, does that what, what does that mean to the story? Well, I got the sense that maybe the, there was a real dynamic emerging between the three uh, the siblings. Um, later on, it would really be a struggle over a vast uh, amount of wealth. And there were some serious uh, psychiatric uh, issues coming, as well as some criminal histories. So, to I get mean, this to thing is—I mean, this is mind-boggling. You know, uh, I hope everyone gets the book because we all got—you know—this is true crime uncensored, and everyone listening is a big true crime fan. And as far as mind-boggling true crime, true story, messing with someone's head and their life, and gaslighting and everything else, this is the most elaborate complex plot to achieve I don't know what I mean, you were saying it's like they got screenwriters and everything with special effects supervisors I mean it's like a, this is like a massive production I mean by, by design we come into this show and Burl knows everything and I know nothing so here I am operating <laughs> knowing nothing 
In, in yeah, all seriousness. It's a story that we can only kind of skim across kind of the surface in a short amount of time. Uh, the book is very detailed, and I actually had to abridge some of it for the sake of you know, not having a 700-page book. Right. Because it went wild, like a roller coaster out of control. Subplots were woven in, characters popping in and out, uh, floors dropping out. You know, just it was like a fi- it was like a house on fire. I guess that could be very entertaining if you know that it's a game, but if you think it's real, that can mess well, with your I'm life. I'm sitting here hearing this for the first time, and I don't know what it is. Uh, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm I'd like to get kind of tuned in a little bit more as to what was going on. Uh, so I mean, of, in, in a nutshell. If you had to condense this down and put it on the back of a book of matches, what were they doing to you? In a nutshell, this was the most elaborate, detailed uh, sort of masquerade, um, a really a hoax. And if I, I don't really want to give away the end of the book. All I can say about the end of the book is that it's a, it's a case that the FBI said was in a category by itself. Uh, Leonard finally wrote back to me, and I was kind of happy about that. He gave me his AOL instant message handle, and I added him to my buddy list. Remember that back from gosh knows when? Yeah. Uh, the uh, AOL instant messenger, the precursor of social media. Right. And this really predates social media. This is way before Facebook, way before any of that. Uh, so Leonard, I add him to my buddy list, and he would start to sort of pop on and off, and I would watch him. Meanwhile, I have a very good friend. You know, I have a, my, my good friend Bobby riding shotgun with me throughout this whole thing. You know, you know you've got that one friend who's like a kind of a true crime fan, too, somebody who's just really eager to drill down and start, you know, searching for things and figuring things out like a puzzle. Right. Uh, I really relied on him very heavily throughout this entire ordeal. So I was, of course, telling my friend all about this. I met this family sort of interesting, maybe a little strange. So uh, Leonard's not writing to me. I'm a little disappointed. And then all of a sudden I start getting a lot of porn sent into my email address. Really, like, dark, dirty, strange, extreme kinds of porn. And every time Leonard would sign on to AOL and sign off, the porn would just stream into my inbox. So this was like something I could watch happening live. You say, like, uh, like, Leonard, thank you very much. You say, Leonard, I got enough. I mean, did you ever tell me to stop with the streaming? Well, board? I was really keeping a distance from him because, remember, I've never met this person. I don't really know this person. It's just given as a, okay, she's possibly this distant relative. If you want to get acquainted, great. If you don't want to get acquainted, fine. You can just tell me. But what happened was I started getting all this porn and connecting the dots. It was Leonard sending me all this pornography. So uh, of him, of, I have to ask, of himself? No, it was, uh, no, he was sending me, like, he was signing up my email address for escort services, uh, transsexual uh, pornography pages, uh, all kinds of really extreme things, not just your, you know, bread, you know, vanilla kind of porn, but like that really, like, weird porn. Um, Why couldn't you shut him down? Well, I couldn't. I mean, I just kept getting all this email. I couldn't stop it. So finally, I just made a complaint. I reported him to AOL and all these other uh, Internet servers. Maybe uh, somebody could do something, block him, whatever, because I couldn't stop him from doing this. Uh, so maybe one of the, I think that report worked. After a couple of days, he wrote to me. He says, oh, you'd like to complain? Maybe I can make you moan, too. Oh, great. I'm thinking, this guy is weird, and now he's fixated on me sexually. 
and that was really disturbing. So I thought, well, I'm just going to, I didn't want to tell Karen, but I was like, I got to tell Karen. Maybe she can stop him from doing this. So I sent her an email. I said, Karen, I really hate to tell you this, but your brother is sending me all kinds of disgusting pornography, and I really wanted to stop. So I don't hear from her for a while, and then I get an email that, you know, she's very sorry. She was horrified. She was mortified. But there was a lot about Leonard that she hadn't told me. And she, in a like a three-page long email, she explained to me Leonard's psychiatric history going back uh, to the early days of the family. Um, there was a fire that killed their youngest uh, sister, and it was really suspicious. But they thought maybe Leonard had something to do with it. Oh man, I, I mean this. See, I mean this is gets so bizarre. Yeah. And you're believing that these people are real. 100%. And yet, whoever's writing this stuff, I mean, usually, I mean, you're, you're, you're a talented woman in your own life, in your own career. You can probably spot, can we say bullshit on the, uh, <laughs> you could probably spot literary inconsistencies or lack of foundation uh, and, <clears throat> and structure uh, in lies on the Internet. Because you can't make a perfectly crafted fiction off the top of your head without some sort of formal training. Just like you can't fix a Mercedes without taking a class in auto repair. And that's usually where people who make stuff up and lies on the Internet or in person fumble terribly. Is one question causes the entire thing to collapse because there is no foundation of reality. Right. So That the would happen later. Oh, that would later. happen later. That would eventually This went happen. on for a year and a half. There were breaks in between... I tried to escape them, but I want to tell you a little bit more about Leonard, which really sets the stage for what was to come. Great. In addition to, you know, possibly setting fire to their house and killing his little sister, uh, Leonard was also known to be peeping in young girls' windows. And clothing was, women's clothing was being stolen from clothing lines around the neighborhood. And one time he was peeping in in a girl's back window and the father caught him, and Leonard uh, reacted by hitting him in the head with a shovel. I and always, I Leonard... always carry a shovel with me when I'm doing my peeping tom duties. <laughs> there might have been a shovel outside the house. That's I don't true. know, but as it, I, I, I wasn't doubting any of this. Wasn't doubting it. She was pouring her guts out to me, and it was like a worse than a Hitchcock movie. Uh, Leonard was sent away in a, to a psychiatric uh, for psychi- psychiatric treatment, and then released. And then she started hinting at something that happened in the 1980s with his, with him with Leonard and two of his friends. There was something about a uh, a rape and a uh, kidnap of a young girl, for which uh, wow. Leonard was never found guilty. But I mean, they, we're talking some talented involved. people sending you these emails. Pardon me. Very talented people sending you this stuff because they gotta they gotta write it. No, they, gotta... had, they had to write it. They had to change course. They had to make up. I mean, this was happening as as it was happening, right? It was just spontaneous, it seemed, right? Wow. It seemed like a fire going off in my life suddenly. Uh, these criminal charges, his creepy sex offender friends in New Jersey, and she told me their names, and sure enough, my friend Bobby and I looked up on the Internet, and there were their sex offender pages. So those for the people New Jersey were real. Department of Corrections with their crimes and their frightening, frightening photographs. Wow. I wonder what they wanted to get from you. Did they ask you for money? 
I will never really totally figure that out. <laughs> yeah, you just like to. entertaining a sucker that they get on the internet. Well, yeah, but I didn't know that. That's a lot of work. I mean, they could have taken all that talent and all that writing skill and probably had a book out before you did. Uh, it could have been the greatest uh, crime novel ever written, possibly. Or maybe it was just overboard, this just far-flung, outlandish, crazy, it purposely made to be so unbelievable that it was hindering me when I was going to law enforcement to try to get help. I mean, it was uh. just so crazy. I had cops looking at me like, um, hmm, you can, know, can we don't you, really know what you, to do can with you, you, can you or this. Can you drill down on some examples here? I mean, I'm getting the general, look, you, I'm, I'm going to read the book, and, and believe me, you, you've got me hooked. But I, I kind of want to know a little bit more. I want to be more specific. Well, what are after finding out about Leonard's criminal history uh, in this long email from his sister Karen, uh, she told me that this incident with he and I had violated some kind of parole or some kind of legal or medical or psychiatric uh, thing he had going on, and they put him back into Greystone because of all this. Now, meanwhile, their sister Sharon was completely going ballistic. She was a widow about to be remarried, and her future husband-to-be canceled their wedding plans because of all of this. Oh. It was really getting cold feet. Decided Probably all your fault, home. too. Totally my fault. If it weren't for me, Leonard wouldn't have been tempted right. to uh, screw around with my, my email. And then now that he's been put away again, uh, this guy she's going to marry is now like, I'm out of here. You know, it's really because I think there's a lot more to their wow. family history, of course. This is the tip of the iceberg, right? Well, you're dealing with some real wackos. More than one, maybe. I wasn't sure what, but I start getting more and more emails, and my boyfriend starts getting threatening phone calls oh, as great. well. I think threatening phone calls are against the law. I think all of this is against <laughs> the law, but there weren't any laws at the time yeah. to help me. No, you're right. There weren't. There weren't. He was in a different jurisdiction, a couple of weird emails. I went to the police. I showed them all of this. I tried to explain to them what was happening. And, you know, beat cops and local precincts don't really know how to do anything about any of this. There's nothing oh, they yeah. can do. Even, even here in Los Angeles, uh, as one homicide detective said to our friend, uh, friend Fred Wolfson, the private eye, said, we know how to deal with cases where there's a gun in somebody's hand. It's a spoken gun. If it's elaborate psychological manipulation leading to mental illness or poisoning, et cetera, et cetera, that's too complex for a homicide detective. Yeah. We need to bring in uh, experts, pharmacological experts or psychiatric. It's not like just go to the cops and say, this person's driving me nuts, this person's trying to kill me, this person's trying to poison me, and they come in and can do something about it. It's yeah. not that easy. Especially if they don't I have the budget. I couldn't blame the cops, but at the same time, I at least wanted to start making a report so that if something happened to me, at least there would be some trail, somewhere to begin, right? There was just, it was a part, you know, a, people, women who are victims of domestic violence, they do this a lot, you know? They're like, they leave a trail, they put away notes, they put away photos, they make a report, because they really feel hopeless. 
there's really only so much the law can do, or there's only so much a police officer can do. Yeah, they can't prevent, they can only respond after the fact. But isn't a threat something that they can follow up on? There was really nothing. I made multiple trips to the police. So in the meantime, I'm hearing about all this, and I'm thinking, i got to get away from these people. I cannot deal with them. I'm just going to ignore it. I just Maybe it'll just go away. Uh, but then I hear from Karen's husband, Hal. And Hal, being not a, you know, a biological member of their family, had some objectivity when it came to the Knackmans. And I think he'd been through the ringer with them and had been dealing with Leonard's problems, and probably Sharon's too, from what I started to find out, for many, many years. Um, he warned me. He said, you know, look, I, I know that you maybe, you know, you, you don't really know what's going on here, but, you know, I need to tell you something about Leonard. He had a girlfriend in New Jersey a few years ago, and he was very excited about her and telling us all about her, and then one day he stopped talking about her. And, they never and then it turned out she was murdered. He gave me her name. This is a real young lady who was murdered in a terrible way and left to be found and she had a little kid and it was a a story that you wouldn't have heard about in new york city if it took place in a small town um in new jersey it wasn't a national story or anything like that but when my friend bobby and i looked it up sure enough this was a real story and it was terrifying she was about my height she had blonde hair and blue eyes just like me and it, it really started to really terrify me because a lot of killers tend to have a type Sure. They tend to be triggered by a certain type. You know, Ted Bundy had his type. They all do. And I thought, well, I guess I'm Leonard's type. Yeah. Yeah, how bizarre. So did you finally go nuts? <laughs> What's that? Did you finally go nuts? I mean, did you... I was going slow. I was sort of disappearing from the inside out. I mean, this went on and on. I would have... This would have to be a three-hour show to really tell you everything. So if, if anyone's interested, I, I recommend the book yeah Um, the people should definitely read the book because the uh uh it's well written of course because you know how to write Uh, a a fine idea would be to tell us the name of the book name of the book you gotta make sure i say this correctly Uh, the book is you have a very soft voice susan you have a very soft voice susan and the title of the book comes from a scene in the book later uh into this ordeal when my email address had begun to sort of leak into Leonard's criminal circles, and I started hearing from his sex offender friends through email. Now suddenly they were all sort of hot to trot over me. And at one point I was at my office um, in Manhattan. It was late in the evening, it was around Halloween, and I had gotten phone calls and hang-ups at work too. And then I picked up the phone, someone hang up, and immediately in my inbox came an email titled, You Have a Very Soft Voice, Susan. <laughs> the message in the email was, How would you like me to come up behind you when you're walking your dog tonight and put my arms around you? Big Lou. Ooh. And Big Lou was one of the guys that Leonard had been arrested for in the kidnap and murder of this girl. No, the kidnap and rape, sorry. Jeez. This is it was right about that time that, I mean, I had gone to the police and from the police. The threats were coming in. My boyfriend was getting threatening phone calls, all kinds of terrible things. I was getting threatening phone calls. And it came to a certain point where I had actually called the FBI to help me. Did so they? I called up the F- 
Pardon? Did the FBI help you? My first call to the FBI was left, didn't do anything. The woman who answered the phone listened to my story, and it really, honestly, from the outside looking in, it sounded so completely insane. See, so therein lies the problem. I've done research on this for the past 20 years. And that is, when you're facing a situation such as yours, that's a very emotionally disturbing, and you tell people about it, the very fact that it sounds nuts and that you're emotionally spun behind it transfers the nuttiness not from the impact of the situation, but to you. Yes. And it discredits you and undermines you, which makes you more desperate, yes. which makes you seem more nuts and more discounted. And that's the tragic thing of horrible things being done to nice people. And when they try to tell about it, people go, yeah, right, that's sure. Did you sure. ever get to the point where even you were wondering about yourself? Like if you had lost it? Yeah. About myself? Yeah. I mean, this is all, it, it becomes preposterous to anybody that hears it, even though we know it's not. But... So, yeah, I was too busy trying to deflect every... I mean, this the, the intensity and the ferocity of the, the turn of the story, uh, it was really hard to breathe from one moment to the next. Yeah, I was really getting ground down. I was losing weight. I wasn't eating. I looked terrible. I was a wreck. I wasn't smiling. I wasn't laughing. I wasn't listening to music. I was no longer a person. I was just like a shadow running from place to place, desperately trying to figure out how to uh, either escape them or get some help from police. But the, really the core of the story is that there really was no escape. And people have said to me many times who have read the book or maybe someone reviewed it on Amazon and said, oh, it would have been easy for you to just change your email and move and that would have been over. Uh -huh. But uh, really the core of the story is that there was no escape. Right. No matter what I did, there was no escape. And telling the story over and over, I found myself sounding completely insane. So yeah. very lonely. Well, that's the, the, yeah, that's uh, the part that I was wondering about. I mean, when you you yourself look in the mirror and go, who is this person? Yeah, who am I? Yeah. Why do I have relatives this crazy? Am I that crazy? Are we all? I don't know. It was it was really damaging. Yeah, it was and the I'm payoff trying to for survive. making you crazy. I'm trying to go to work in the morning and hold it together. I have a very demanding job. So I finally did get through to the FBI, and, and uh, the story had gotten so outrageous at that point that it actually did finally get someone's interest at the FBI. Well, what was the thing that, that did that? What, what threw the switch? Well, uh, the story had gotten so demented and so insane that Leonard and his uh, sort of uh, army of uh, criminal friends and super kinky, super... Uh, S&M people had been involved in more than just, you know, nightclub kink fest. I mean, it turned into uh, a, a situation where the two sex offenders that were Leonard's friends uh, were planning to kidnap us and take us to a uh, some kind of a place where we would be held and raped and maybe possibly eaten. Oh, that's the best part. So now when you're getting into the kidnapping, that's where the FBI goes, okay, we're in. Yeah. Because that's federal yeah. crime. Yeah. Well, thank God they enough. went with that direction with it. I was so happy to get through to someone at least that would take me seriously. And thank God for the FBI. You know, people knock the FBI all the time. I will tell you, my experience with them was stellar. 
Absolutely stellar. Okay, we're going to take a 60-second break to call the FBI and report you. And we'll be right back for the exciting conclusion on True Crime on Censored on Outlaw Radio. with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device and it's all free just go to your friendly app store and search for outlaw radio then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it it's free listen free on the road in your car at the beach or in your backyard it's all free from outlaw radio this is buddy twist saying good night from hollywood And now, back to True Crime Uncensored, yeah. formerly hosted by Burl Bear and Don Waldman. But Don Waldman is dead. Not my fault. True Crime Unsplintered, Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. That's and us. Yeah, that would be us. CG. He's not here. Where, where is you know. he today? I don't know. I'll, ta- I'll tell you where he's not. He's not here because <laughs> it seems that between the two of you... Burl and Howard, no one let him know that there'd be a show today. Ah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought that too. I didn't turn that down, though. Yeah. Okay. Now the, the, yeah. the answer has become apparent. Yeah. Barrett, how many kids? Hey. Get up, Bob. Okay. It's before, it's I want to remind everyone to buy her book before we get back to the book. <laughs> <laughs> you have a very soft voice, Susan. I love that title. It is a good title. Yeah. It's, it's one good. of the worst moments in this whole story. Yeah. Well, this is the one I'm going. I'm going on vacation a couple of weeks, and I, I, this is the one I've got earmarked to take with me first. Uh, this is fascinating. You will never look at the world the same after reading this. Well, the, I mean, I know well, that's, that's a really grand claim, but it really gets into some really bizarre and disturbing human psychology, criminal psychology. That's what amazes me. Is so, it, so you're saying not 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 a poolside read? <laughs> well, I like poolside. I mean, I like true crime. I read a lot of true crime. I've always been a true crime fan. Um, I like scary stories. I like to also close the book and put it away, and not have it, you know, destroy my life. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll take. I it mean, I take it your life is no longer destroyed. You seem to have come out the other side and written a book about it, which is. No, it it it, uh, it didn't end. Uh, there there is a happy ending. There's a happy it, ending. Yeah, well, they all go off to Sunnybrook no, Farm. I, I, I don't want to know here. that. I don't want to. I mean, you you're still here. You sound terrific. You're yeah. Uh, you, you, you know, it sounds like what you have put together is somewhat extraordinary. That's why you've got me hooked. Um, so that's the good news. Is there bad news still? There might be. Talk about it just a bit. There might be. Well, there is a resolve, and I kind of want to get to save that for a a little. I don't know how much time we have, but I want to kind of save that a little bit, sort of get into the story. We got about about twelve minutes or so. Once we go to the FBI, I sit down with this agent 
who was everything you would imagine an FBI agent would be, nice crisp suit, very clean cut, very direct, no nonsense, and I start pulling out reams of emails and printer, printouts of offender profiles and start to explain to him all the details that I knew so far. So what was very strange about that visit to the FBI was that right after it happened, everything goes completely silent, completely silent, multiple characters, up to a dozen, just stop. It was really strange. I wanted it, I was happy it stopped, but it was just very strange that it all just stopped at once. Yeah, the only way that would happen is if the people doing it knew you went to the FBI. Well, I had no idea, of course, and Bobby and I were just scrambling our little heads trying to figure out what was happening next. It had become something that had taken on a life of its own. And yeah. it stopped. I was really grateful that it stopped. It stopped for a few months, and that was fine. I was able to get back to my life a little bit, take trips down to D.C., spend time with my friend, uh, Bobby, who lived in D.C., and just get out of the city, get out of my life, get out of my head, get away from it all. Uh, and then it started up again. Um, I got a test bounce email at my office, which is a um, take any combination of my name my, and my first initial or my name and put it together with a domain. You're going to get through. Most business email addresses are very simple. Last name, first name, you know, at, you know, whatever.com. Yeah. I get a test bounce. Clearly somebody was looking to find me at where I worked, uh, the publishing house I worked. Um, so that's when the phone calls and the emails started coming in there. Uh, at one point, I was sitting at my desk. I had an author. I'm a book publicist. I had an author just pop into my office unannounced, wanted to talk about his, his golf book. And I look at my computer screen and suddenly start pouring into my, com my email box was, your, email, your greeting has been sent. Your greeting has been sent. Your greeting has been opened. Your greeting has been opened. I'm getting these greetings from a Yahoo greeting uh, that had been sent out with my email address to everyone in my company, the president of the company, the editors, uh, the art department, the production people, uh, accounts payable, my boss, everyone. And it was a pornographic email saying, I'm bored, I'm at my desk, if anybody wants sex, just give me a, you know, let me know. Hmm. So do we, do you have to give out numbers? Pardon? Uh, this sounds very disturbing. It was very disturbing. <laughs> I mean, I was being now kind of... Disturbed and was, disturbing. I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Very disturbing and disturbed. Very disturbing and disturbed. I was just mortified. I wanted to die. I wanted to disappear. I wanted to run. I wanted to hide because suddenly it had sort of come full, you know, full force right back at me. What did, uh, what did somebody, you do at the end of that business day when all this stuff hit, hit, hit your computer? How well, the only you, thing I could do was go what? to the IT guy and explain to him what was happening. Um, and he was able to put in some domain blocks on the server, the company server. But this person was finding ways around it. But, so, in, but prior to that, the FBI had been started poking into the case and looking around. And what uh, agent, FBI Special Agent Waller was able to determine was that one of the sex offenders involved in this odyssey had never left jail. Mm. So when you take out one character... The whole house of cards just completely collapsed. Right. Completely. Because they were all entwined. 
and they were all interacting with each other and talking about each other and going back and forth, and there was drama after drama after drama. So when you pull out one piece, the whole right, thing comes apart. That's what we were talking about earlier. If right. it's not it's real, like a switch. One, one question properly placed, the whole right. thing falls apart. But it was still, somebody was doing this. Oh, yeah, someone smart, twisted, but Which smart. Which was almost even even creepier. Yeah. I mean, they had to be really creative and really smart to a point. <laughs> and, and, it took and, a lot and, of endurance and, a, and a, mental energy and time well. and, and, and uh, creativity. Uh, it was just, I mean, the reason why I wrote the book is because I had to preserve it somehow. And all the times that I told it to people and told this story again and again to police and FBI and to prosecutors and to all kinds of people, I thought, I have to write this book. It has to be preserved somehow, some way. So that's why I wrote it. And uh, not an well, easy without, thing to do. I mean, we we so once, always say we'll help sell the book, and uh, we don't mind doing too many spoilers. But can you just tell us, were the perpetrators brought to justice? Yes. Oh, good. Yes. Okay. And that is my favorite part of the book, as you can imagine. Oh, yes, I would imagine so. Susan Fenstan of the make-believe name. <laughs> Who's but I just wanted to know where it was coming from. And I was the FBI agent said, after that incident at my office where all of those greetings were sent out, Yahoo doesn't do these anymore. There was no security check. I could send an email to anywhere with your name on it and said it came from you, and you would get the notice it was sent, and you would get the notice that someone read it. And this went on for days at my office. This is what finally got the FBI to finally issue a subpoena for one of these email addresses. And he cautioned me. He said, look, we may not be able to really pinpoint this. If it's coming from a library computer or some public, you know, internet cafe, we can only kind of get location. We, you know, we're not promising you we can really get this nailed down. So just, you know, be aware of that. But I was happy to find out, maybe find out where it was coming from. What state? Who Put the scanner on me? right now so we can get the scanner, but a nine-alarm fire. That movie where the woman is getting all these, you know, threatening phone calls, etc., and she gets traced and they go, the phone calls are coming from inside the house. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what that sounds like. It's like, oh, my God, the reveal is too terrifying because it's that close. It's when it's coming from inside, it's worse. Oh, something yeah. Something coming from the outside is still an unknown, but something coming from the inside is a known, and it's a dangerous, dangerous known. That's what's really so bizarre. I mean, the whole... The, you're, the whole true story of your book is incredibly bizarre and frightening. I'm surprised you still have any functional brain cells left. <laughs> I, I, have, I have scars. I have serious scars from this. I would imagine. I, there's, so. there's a book in writing this book. Yeah. yeah you know, I can see that, that, what you went through to get this on, on the page. Um, and, and your desire to get it on the page because you wanted it to be believed. Finally, uh, I, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure that people would hear your story and go, oh, she's off her rocker. Um, but there it is, black and white. And uh, it's something that everybody can read. Yeah. I, I hope that people really get it. I hope that people read it and give me, give me the time to tell my story. Um, and I think... Uh, Hopefully, what my great hope is that people who have also been stalked uh, find some sort of 
maybe just community in knowing that, you know, because being stalked is a very lonely feeling. And internet stalking has now surpassed physical stalking. Can you can you describe time. can you describe that feeling? I'm sure you can. Maybe you do it for Well, us. it's like it's dealing with an invisible hand. You know? You're you're really not sure what's coming next. You know, you're being threatened and then it goes quiet and then it turns your life upside down again and the constant twists and the stripping away of your privacy, the stripping away of your sovereignty as a person, and knowing that there's some phantom on the other end of the computer um, is really frightening. You know, some people have said, oh, well, Internet stalking is not that scary. Physical stalking is a lot scarier. I've had both. Uh, yeah. And this is worse. It's more insidious. And you know what else is, I mean, I had a, uh, an Internet well, I guess it was an internet stalker, real life stalker, back uh, years and years ago. Someone who unfortunately was mentally ill, but it was just like the movie Play Misty for me, where she gets hold of me afterwards and says, I really want to apologize. I was off my medication. I've been in the institution. I'm out now. I'm horribly embarrassed by my behavior. I hope you'll forgive me. And of course, I forgave her. And everything's like then eight months later, starts all over again. Then years of silence, then about five years of silence, living in a wow. different city, it starts all over again. Wow. And it's that shock of, you know, the life was saying, Godfather, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> just when you think it's safe, it's not. And you never know when it's going to go from, I want you, I need you to, if I can't have you, no one can. Yeah. Well, there's also the other kind of stalking that at least I found, I had, I found some justice. I was very, very grateful to um, have had the FBI um, prosecute this case for me. But I've learned, I've learned about a lot of other stories in this process. And there are people who are getting this from overseas where you have no recourse, nothing. FBI, nothing, nothing. They can just do whatever they want to you. At least the United States, now there's laws in place to hopefully stop it, because it is this is a, this is the crime of the new frontier. I had people try to blackmail me, blackmail me from overseas. And I hadn't even done any of the stuff to be blackmailed about, but that wasn't going to stop them. <laughs> you know, either you pay me, or I'm going to uh, disseminate this uh, horrifying information about you, true or false. And I, said, I didn't want to join Facebook at all. I had no interest in joining Facebook, but I knew that if I wanted to write a book, it's something I should do. Um, you'll get good. You'll help, help, help your sales. No, it does. But I, I still feel. I mean, I'm the only Susan Fenston. Easy to find me. Um, and I will say that the, the 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 entity behind this is still out there. That's the, that's one of the scary parts for me. It's not over. I don't feel it's over. It's over. But. I don't really feel it's over. Well, what do you what do you feel? Uh, you know, it, it's over, For but now. you don't think it's I over. I feel like I'm being watched. Is that? I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but the fact that someone did this to me, focused on me, and went to prison. Well, here's a comforting it, thought, Susie. It wasn't about you. It was about them. Yeah. It's all about them. That sense of control, sense of manipulation, the ability, the ego-boosting ability to create drama in other people's lives. It's like being Pat Chayefsky but not having to put on the play anywhere except on your computer. 
I have known people like that. That is their joy in life is causing service, you know, meddling in other people's lives to cause drama, conflict. And they sit back and they smile about it because it gives them feelings of power and control and creativity. Right. How often would you respond? Asking her? What? Yeah. To, to all of these communications? Yeah. I was involved. I, I escaped a couple of times and cut them out, but they still found their way right back into my life in really insidious and surprising ways. Little traps were set. I mean, I want, you, I want, the, I want the audience to read the book to really get the sense of the, the scope and the density of the story. Um, but yeah, I, 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 th- I think we've got that part. Uh, you know, you, yeah, you I think- wanted to keep an eye on them. At the same time, I wanted to escape them, and I had, but I kept getting drawn back in. I was right. forced to come back in. That's because it, you set up stimulant patterns in your brain, cell to cell. One triggers the other, and it's almost like an addictive process. And uh, yeah. the, you know, I'll make this real quick because we're starting to run out of time. But I was with someone who does what this person had done to you, except they, not on the Internet, more like in person to create scenarios. Mm-hmm. To, and... They thought they were incredibly clever with what they did. However, I'm an investigative true crime journalist. And when what happened happened, everyone believed what was happening. I saw it was BS. I saw it was created. I saw how they did it, how they set it up, how they pulled it off, and why people believed it. And I finally took one of the people aside and said, this isn't real. I can tell you exactly how this scenario was set up. Point A, B, C, D. They put themselves in this situation at this time so this information would appear to come forth. It's a game screwing with you just because they can. It's not about you. It's 100% about them. But by responding even in in the smallest of ways, they got you. They got you, yeah. And so the thing yeah, all best you do is just true. not it, not it even buy really in. It's a full commandeering of a human being's life. Yeah. As much as you can control them and play every single string. Right. And like I say, as you say, why me, why me? It's not why you. It's nothing to do with you. Well, uh, well it, it probably not, but it, it, once you get hooked into something well, yeah, like this, and correct you're me a real I, person. You correct really me if I'm wrong, you wanted to know who this was. But if you got hit by a truck, you would be replaced immediately. It's like serial yeah. killers. It's the yeah. same crime over and over. They just change the well, cast yeah, member. It, it, the, they may have two different, three different stories going at once. Yeah. You know, the, a, a, a lunatic is a lunatic is a lunatic. If it had just stopped, I would have been happy, but there always would have... And if, I, if it had just stopped and I didn't find out the solution to this crime, I would have always been wondering forever... What was that? Who was that? When is it going to start again? Because I am convinced that the F- if the FBI had not gotten involved, this would have continued forever. Ever, forever. That's right. It's the, it's the show that can't be canceled. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm uh, absolutely fascinated and uh, appreciate you even giving us the, the taste of what this is all about, because you've, uh, you know, now I have an appetite. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab this appetite book. Appetite for destruction. Oh, I'm gonna grab the book. Uh, uh, you you know. have a very soft voice, Susan. Yep. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show, and I hope you sell tons of books. And this, uh, this show will soon be up on iTunes and Spotify, and uh, about 12 other platforms by Monday. 
so people can listen to it forever, everywhere. Which is a good thing. I so appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about my book. And I also want to say thank you for pointing out something that is, the thing is too close to me. When you said it wasn't about me, but it was about them, that had never really occurred to me before. Well, I'm glad we could be helpful. That's one of, the, one of our public services here. Yes. At True Crime Uncensored. <laughs> I, look, I look forward to reading the book. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Well, if Thank it has you. me, Howard. I, I will because, you know, I'm glad to, that you're back. Yes. Uh, so I can't hold back. Burl. Yeah. What's next? Hello. <laughs> Magic Man Allen and the Demons of Decadence live from the Lightning Lounge on AllenRadioLive.com.